Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps Podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. Loving listening to other people's stories here on this podcast, then maybe it's time to start recording your own. Head on over to reminisaudio.com and take the hard work out of preserving your memories. Hey, hey, welcome to the Notable Poops podcast. Hello, my name's Steph Scholl, and today I'm here with my good friend, Nakia Miller. Hi, everybody. Before we start talking, I just want to brag about Nakia for a little bit. <laughs> so Go on, Steph, brag. Okay, so Nakia, <laughs> Nakia and I, we work together. So she's the second person I've interviewed that I worked with. I interviewed Son last year and his mm-hmm. wife, Chris. And so when I first met her, she told me her life story, and it, it includes addiction and recovery and and changing really your life. Yep. And I was so impressed with it that I was like, I want to interview her. But then since we work together, it's sort of the awkward like, but like, how does that work? How how does that work? (laughs) And I mean, we've been like good friends. I feel like ever since the first day you started working, we just like became good friends. Mm -hmm. Then a couple weeks ago, we were talking. You got the courage. Yeah. And I was like, "Uh, would you ever want to share your story? And you're like, yeah, I'm, you know me, I'm open, you know? But another reason why I wanted to do on this podcast is because Nakia, I just feel like you are someone that people just adore because you are so genuine and you're you're just 100% yourself but you really care about people like in our office Nikia knows everything about everyone because she asks questions and mm-hmm. so so anyways this is just my my plug for Nikia that I really feel like you are such a notable peep and so I've been wanting to do this interview for a long time thanks Steph I appreciate that so I guess we should probably start with my background and talk a little bit about that. Uh, I came from a family that was had drug use. And I guess, like I told you before, Steph, they, people would consider my parents uh, functioning addicts. And what we know today is n- there is no such thing as a functioning addict. So through my whole growing up, I, I witnessed drug use, but I witnessed it as my parents working, taking care of their family, and doing all the things that responsible adults do. So growing up in an environment like that, it makes you think that it's okay. It makes you think that that sort of lifestyle is okay. It's just the norm. It's just the norm. So at a young age, when I, I had to actually say when I hit puberty probably when I, you know, my teenage years and, you know, how it does crazy things to your mind. (laughs) At that point, I probably felt like I was an adult. And so that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to do the things that my parents are doing because it's okay. I'm a grown-up now. So I would say I started drinking alcohol when I was about 12. My dad he would always send us kids, like we'd go to parties with them on the weekends with their friends, and he'd always send me or my brother to go get beers for them or, you know, to go to the refrigerator mm-hmm. and grab a beer and bring it back to him and his buddies, and they'd give us like a buck each for going to the fridge and getting a beer. And so 
it started there with me like cracking the beer open for them. And after they'd had a few, I would take a few sips before I gave it to them mm-hmm. and I'd collect my dollar. So I was winning both <laughs> ways. Right. There you go. <laughs> Work in the system. <laughs> Work in the system. <laughs> so I think it started, it started there. It started, you know, and, and unfortunately for, my folks, I don't think they, they knew, you know, cause they were so like involved in what they had going on that they didn't realize what their children were doing. Cause it wasn't just me doing it. It was my brothers too. So it started off with, with innocent, what I would say, innocent things like that, you know, like, I guess it wouldn't be so innocent, but like maybe but that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um, I would, my parents smoked pot. From there, I would start uh, stealing little buds off my dad's tray. He had a tray that he had his little marijuana on, and and I would start stealing things from there, and he wouldn't notice. And and then finally, I started running away from home, and then I started getting into harder drugs. And that went on until... I got pregnant when I was 15. And I didn't know that I was pregnant until I was about four months pregnant. So during that first, I think what they consider the first trimester, you know, the first, what is it, three months, I think, of Mm -hmm. pregnancy, I was actively using drugs because I had no clue that I was pregnant. None. And then you said that once you found out, Stopped. Stopped. And I, re- yes. you said the other day, you're like, that was actually a really mature decision for this 15 year old. Yes. To it make. Was, it was a very mature decision. I was actually had ran away from home. Um, I had started getting like morning sickness. I was getting sick. And what does a normal 15 year old person want when they're sick? They want their mommy. So mm-hmm. I came home. Like I stopped running away. I actually knocked on my parents door at like three o'clock in the morning and my mom answered the door and I was like crying because I had just like been sick and didn't know why because I was pregnant you know I was having morning sickness and my mom took one look at me and she said you're pregnant oh really yeah so she knew immediately that I was pregnant that mother's intuition it's always right yeah (laughs) she knew immediately and so I stayed home until uh, and got clean, and you know, I had that excitement of being a young girl. Uh, oh, I have a baby! Like this is gonna be so exciting, you know? Like I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna change my life and blah, blah blah. You know, I thought it was gonna be this like amazing thing. Never in a million years did I ever think it was gonna be the hardest thing I ever did in my whole entire life. Like it was such a struggle to be a teen mother and be addicted to drugs because my drug use didn't stop at that point. Um, after it stopped during when I found out I was pregnant and I came home and I stayed there until my son was born. But the moment that he was born, it was literally like two days later that I was doing drugs again. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, it was super fast. It was almost like I couldn't wait, you know, that's how it was. That's, I still wanted to like party, you know, I was Mm -hmm. at that point when I'd had him, I was 16 now and I, you know, I, I wasn't done. Like I still wanted to be fast. I still wanted to go hang out with boys that were, you know, in their twenties. I still wanted to do all these wild and crazy things that had led me 
to where I was at in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, no lessons were learned at that point in my life. Even getting pregnant uh, as a teen did not teach me anything in that moment. It wasn't until the things that I endured later on that caused me to be who I am today, you know, basically. So after my son was born, I continued to use drugs and was in and out of juvenile until I was about – for – until I was about 17. Um, I'd run away from home and my mom would call the cops on me. And I get picked up for a runaway. And at that point, as soon as I turned 17, then it, I was on my own then. They, mm-hmm. they weren't going to take me to juvie anymore. Yeah. They were – I was – had a child and I was 17. Like it was a waste of their so time. So did your parents take care of your kid when you were Actually, you? my son's dad's mom mm-hmm. – well, let me back up. She – her son had convinced her that I was not pregnant by him. When my son was born, she obviously knew that – it was his child. Yeah, you said that he looked so he much looks, like. Yeah, he doesn't even look like he came from me or my side of the family. Mm-hmm. He he is his dad's gene is so dominant that he looks like a twin of his. Anyway, so during those times, she was very you know very much involved. I think that uh, if I wouldn't have gotten my life together, that he, my son, would have probably been with her permanently. Um, but she was very much in his life. Uh, that was grandma's boy. It's like she was very much in his life. That's good that he was able to have that stable environment. Yes, during that time too. I'm so you know I didn't always get along with her stuff, and we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. But I am so you know she's passed away now, but I am so so grateful for her because she was able to step in when you know my when my mom wasn't able to you know because my mom and dad were going through a divorce. Once I had my son, they separated. They were going through a very nasty divorce, and my mom just wasn't – at that point, my mom's drug use escalated, and she just kind of went off the – you know, she lost her state job that she'd had for many years, and she – you know, her life just escalated, and that's where it comes in that, you know, you're functioning and whatever you do until you're not, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so – Yeah. And that's – Kind of what happened with her. Anyway, so I continued to do drugs until I was about, let's see, I'm 40 now. So I want, until about 23. It's been about 16 years, 16, 16 and a half years. So I was 23. So what had happened was, is that I was actively using drugs. I was a mess. Like, I was 130 pounds, which is very small for me, you know, like I was, I was just a mess. And my dad, he actually had moved here to Salt Lake City because, you know, I'm originally from Oregon. My dad moved here. And after he moved here, he found out that he was he was sick. You know, he had diabetes. He had uh, he had lung cancer, but that came along along later on. But he had just got really sick with diabetes and like it took him out quickly and so I came here with him and at that point you know somebody had to help take care of him and and that's what made me click I think because I was always a daddy's girl big time and that's what it did it for me because I was like I seen my dad and I seen 
what his body was doing to him now. Mm-hmm. And that was because of all the years of drug use, all the years. Because he, he was 50, 51. Oh, wow. When he got, yeah, dying. Like it literally came in and t- like that disease, that diabetes came in and just riddled his body. And fast too. It was crazy. Like he, normally when people get diabetes, they like take the medication first. He was straight to insulin immediately. So I came here and, you know, got myself clean. And that's another thing that I wanted to touch on too is that I think for recovery, a big thing in recovery and able to get yourself clean, and I was talking to my husband about this this morning before I came here, is relocation. Oh, really? It's so important, I think. I think it's such a big component. A lot of people don't, like when they're trying to get clean and they're trying to, you know, recover from whatever, alcohol, drugs, whatever, bad relationships, and they try to stay in the environment that they were in when they were doing those things actively, to me, it's not possible. Like you're always going to fail. You're going to go back to what you know. You're going to have a moment in your life and you're weak and you're going to go back to that. So for me, recovery is biggest components. One of its biggest components is relocation. I think it's even, you know, in a big city like Salt Lake, you could, you can even do it here. You know, you can move, let's say somebody is actively using in Bountiful and then they move to Saratoga Springs, mm-hmm. I think they'll be okay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, No, but that makes sense to like get out of that environment, the yes. buildings, that, the people, like mm-hmm. just those areas yes. and those memories. Those areas and those memories. You have to remove yourself from it. You have to remove yourself from it. If you don't, it's – that's why they always tell you, you have to get rid of the old friends. You have to, you know, you have to rebuild your life and you have to do it with – sobriety and with sobriety in mind and a lot of people when it comes to you know pride they don't want to do that for me I'm the type of person that always when I decide to do something it's like cold turkey like it just happens for me but I still have to have those things as I'm going through recovery that keep me there you have to like get like all your ducks in a row so that you don't yes. fail. Like, yes. So you're setting yourself up for success. Exactly. And f- so I would do meetings, you know, I-, I don't do meetings anymore, but if I ever feel like I need to go to one, I do. But they're really a good component to recovery meetings because you get to be around other people that are trying to make the same decisions you are, you know, and support is always so important. But even just doing things like this, even though I have, you know, 16 years clean and sober, even doing stuff like this is so important to me because it keeps me in that spot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It keeps it fresh. It keeps it new and it keeps it like, you know, you're still doing this. Good for you. You know what I mean? You're, You're still reaching out. You're still, you know, networking in sobriety, which is so super important. No, I I think that that is important that you, like you said, you you like to share your story with Mm -hmm. whoever you can and and it does keep it fresh. And so let's go back to, so your dad, he gets Mm -hmm. sick. Yeah. And like you said, you moved here. So it was like setting up your ducks in a row. Yeah. You got a new location. New location. So you just stopped cold turkey. I mean, what were you doing these hard drugs or were you doing pot or I was doing hard hard drugs yeah yeah so I so that's hard to just stop yeah yeah it was it was 
definitely a struggle. But like I said, this is where the relocation comes Uh into because I relocated myself here and I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody. And literally, and, and I wasn't seeking anything because I was, you know, my focus was my dad. Uh-huh. And you had your son with you at this time yeah. too? Not at this time. He was oh. with his grandma okay. at that time. He came back later, but at that time he was with her while I was kind of getting my, mm-hmm. you know, life together. my life together. The relocation part, that's where, you know, it comes for me is that I relocated here. My focus was my dad and... I just, yeah, I just, it just quit cold turkey. And then after you've just been that way for a minute, then it's just, it's normal. Were the withdrawals like so hard though? Like, um, you, you know, not really. Like if they're really not that like heroin and alcohol, which are the two things that I was not doing. I was mostly doing pot and meth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, with my experience with other people, like alcohol and heroin are the withdrawal drugs. Like uh-huh. it's, it's extremely hard to come off those. Um, but l- literally with like pot and meth, it's, you just sleep it off. You, you sleep it off for a few days, you get up and you're good. Like if you have a strong will and a strong personality to do that, then it's achievable. Yeah. It just is. Well, and like being here in a new location, you, like you said, you don't have any friends, so you aren't going to parties nope. where it's at. Mm-hmm. You don't know where nope. to get it from a dealer. Nope. Like I didn't know nothing. So that and was... And that's not something you just search for in the white pages? Or no. Like, <laughs> no. You don't Google it. I mean, where can I hook up with a dealer? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, maybe you can, but I don't know now. Yeah, but back then, <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot, of, a lot of things change yeah. in 16 years. You yeah. Know? A lot of things do change. Anyway, so um, I uh, came here, got clean, and that's where my journey of sobriety started. But in that journey of sobriety, there's been so many amazing things that have happened to me and that I've been able to be a part of. Um, I've been able to hold steady jobs, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, which I never did before. Yeah. So my bills actually get paid now, you know, <laughs> like I, you know, like I don't ever have to worry about uh, getting pulled over and getting my car towed because I don't have insurance or, uh, you know, that sort of things. Mm-hmm. Like your bills get paid. Those normal life happens. But I also I want to talk about is that I got to be a part of a community of women that are what they consider high-risk women. These are women that have been to prison, been to jail, keep reoffending, keep reusing. They don't have any skills. It takes skills to do these things, whether they, you teach these skills to yourself or somebody else teaches these skills to you. It takes skills to be able to accomplish sobriety or accomplish change. You know, uh, you can't change with the same old skills you've been using, using drugs, right? Mm-hmm. So I got to be a part of this group where I got to help correctional counselors teach these high-risk women cognitive-based skills to help them be successful, to help them move on in their life, to help them achieve sobriety, to help them get their children back out of the system. There was just so many things that we helped them with. But where I came into the picture is that I had the experience. These correctional counselors, they didn't because they went to college and they got a degree to Mm -hmm. teach these things. 
Yeah. They didn't have the personal experience that I had and the success that I had in recovery to be able to relate to these women. And to be able to show, hey, it's possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was very blessed to be able to do that. And it was so rewarding for me. It helped me in my early years of, you know, I would say my first 10 years of sobriety. It helped me stay there because I was so dedicated to being able to help other women, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it was very important to me and it still is, it still is very important to me that, like I said, that's why I do things like this because I hope that somebody listens to it and knows that they can, you know, that there might be just that one component that that they didn't have, like the relocation or staying connected in a sober community or, you know, uh, just actively doing things that help with sobriety, you know, maybe that can help somebody. The thing that I really like about you is that you, because you are transparent, it gives Mm -hmm. people around you like the freedom to feel like they can be transparent with you. Oh, absolutely. As as well. And Mm -hmm. so the other day you were telling me about how before when you're applying for a job, Mm -hmm. you are straight up with them. Hey, I have a felony on my record. And, and what do you share with them? So I – and this is one of the things early on that I – this is actually something that I learned from the correctional counselors when they were teaching these classes, you know. Um, it was in the curriculum that they used and it was um, how to go about interviews. And and I kind of had an idea anyway because, you know, I've had some no's and I've had yeses. But it says, like, it's so important just to be transparent even with your employers because – People do background checks, especially if you're trying to get a job that's worth anything, you're going to get a background check. Like it's just going to happen. And it is so much better just to be honest about it. You may get a no. Oh, well, move on. Somebody is eventually going to say yes to you because of your honesty and being so transparent. People appreciate that so much more than lies, you know, and they just do. So fortunately... When you do disclose that information, the employer isn't like, okay, so what was it? What did you do? Mm-hmm. You know, like they're yeah. not asking. Yeah. They're not asking for you to tell the story and, and the surrounding <laughs> circumstances about how you got a felony. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. They're just grateful that you're being honest about mm-hmm. it, you know, because a lot of people try to hide those things. And there's no reason to hide who you are. If you're making the right decisions today and doing the right things, you don't need to be ashamed of your mistakes. There's no reason for it. You know, people respect that so much more stuff. They respect it. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I heard once that there was an employer and two candidates came in Mm -hmm. and one candidate didn't say anything Mm -hmm. about a felony on the record. And Mm -hmm. the other one was up front about it. Mm -hmm. And the one that didn't say anything, it it came up on the record and Mm -hmm. they didn't go with that candidate. Because they seemed dishonest. Yeah. Even though that candidate might have had like... More qualifications. More qualifications, Mm -hmm. but because the other person was up front Mm -hmm. and they they want with that and and so i think that that is i mean Mm -hmm. that's a cool quality in Mm -hmm. in any aspect of life to just be up front and that people appreciate it and like you said they aren't asking Mm -hmm. all the nitty-gritty details and i'm even upfront about so like in an interview interview process and even with our current employer this is you know i don't mind disclosing how my my interview Mm -hmm. process went um our HR, she directly, you know, was like, she straight up asked 
about, or she gave you, they give you the paper uh-huh. and then you write down what, what you're, what you have. But before that, when I'm, when they're asking about you, you know, like what, tell us something about yourself. What do we, you know, what can we know about you? One of my very first things I tell them is that I've been in recovery for 16 years or however many years it's been, you know, and that, um, I'm very active in that. And like, I put that out there. I think it's so important. It shows vulnerability. It shows that you're human. Like if you have something that mm-hmm. other people can connect with, and you never know who's going to be able to connect yeah. with that. And honestly, my um, I've been able to connect with several people in my work environment because of my past, because of where I've been, because of what I know, because of who I am, you know, mm-hmm. and it makes work life so much more easier. You look forward to going to work because you're going there with people that you like. You're going with people there with you have things in common mm-hmm. with. You're going there, you know, you're not just going there with blinders and just doing your job, you know. Work is supposed to be like a second family almost, and and that's how I feel there, you know. So I think it's really important. So I know that this was a total tangent that we went on, <laughs> I know but, it is. but I really do feel like that that's important it, part of yeah. recovery is to own your past and yes. to to be up front. And I, and mm-hmm. I look at you, I feel like you are such a hard worker. You're so on task. You get so much done mm-hmm. that. That the company that we work for, they would have missed out if they didn't hire. And you're right. so like everyone loves you, you know. And so I think that like I hope they. I don't know. No, it's true. But like, but I think that it's easy to see like to be like, oh, if I tell this, like they won't, they won't like me. But yeah. like you said, I I heard once before that it said like our imperfections are what make us lovable, and mm-hmm. that you've been able to relate. Yeah. And so, and I think also a reason why I've been able to connect with so many people at work is because I don't think that they've had somebody like me that just comes in and, and asks like, all the questions yeah. Who I am. yeah you know what I mean Boom. I want to know everything you know you yeah. can know everything I know you know yeah no you're like, always asking questions how yeah. did you learn how to do that like what yes. do you do with that like yes yeah uh, that's you know knowledge is key for me it really is and if I wouldn't have been knowledgeable in the things that it took to be come sober, then I wouldn't be sober today, you know? Yeah. So it's so important for me to know things. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little nosy, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's good. You know, I just, I just think it's super important that knowledge is key in anything that you do, not just sobriety, but anything you do. So. I want to go back to your story though and touch yeah. on, you're with your dad, you're helping him you're yeah. sober. Mm-hmm. But were there, there times that it was like you wanted that old life? Were oh, there yeah. times that? Oh, yeah. And so when you're in those moments, I mean, is that when you went to a meeting or is that when you reached out to a friend or you, how did you deal with those urges? Well, I've done s- several different yeah. things. I had the support of my dad, even though that he was, you know, sick. I had, like, he has been my biggest supporter my whole entire life for anything I did. He supported me in bad choices. He supported me in good choices. He supported me in any choices that I, I had to, you know, that I made. Just unconditional love. Oh, yes. Dad. I was just, yeah, He's he was my main guy, yeah. I think that in those times when I was uh, a little weak, I would say, I just kind of, you know, for me, stuff just because I have such a strong personality, for me, I just kind of powered through them. There was times that I would go to meetings, um, and to be like very, very transparent and honest here, there was times when I would just turn to like sex, to be honest, and mm-hmm. just like 
Turn to something else. Turn to something else. Mm -hmm. And so I would do, I would do that. Now, was that probably the best choice? No, but it got me through sobriety. Yeah. I didn't, you know, and think the baby Jesus, I didn't get an STD, but (laughs) 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 But it helped me through, you know, sobriety. And um, sometimes we have to take those choices that are maybe not so bad, like, you know, like sleeping with a random guy, you know, and, but as opposed to like, if it helped me from not using meth that day, then I'll take that. I just would, mm-hmm. you know, other people might have a different take on that, but yeah, I, for me, that's what I would do. Yeah. And so I was trying to find comfort in other things in order to ease my mind of cravings. Um, another big one that I turned to was food. I gained so much stinking weight. I gained probably, so I went from 130 and my biggest weight was 280. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and I'm so glad that I my mind just processed that. But I gained so much weight because I turned to food for comfort. And I think a lot of people actually do that. When they're getting sober, because you see a lot of people that, you know, get heavy Mm -hmm. or gain weight. But, yeah, I ate, like, crazy, like, constantly, constantly. And the thing is, is that I quit smoking cigarettes and I quit drugs at the same time. Oh, so. Yeah. So it was like a double whammy for me, you know. And I just, I really did turn to food a lot. You know, I'm grateful for your transparency because I think that if you were just coming here and be like, I I quit cold turkey, I've been sober for 16 years, yeah, I go to my meetings, I'm good, but you're like, you know what, when I had cravings, I replaced them with others, but at least I wasn't doing these, at least I wasn't doing meth. Right. And I know it's like these baby steps that you had to like overcome each day. Right, right. And so, you know, like how some people wing themselves off cigarettes, like, oh, I only smoked two today. And then the next day I smoked one. You know, that's not how it went for me. It was, you know, I stopped and then I dealt with whatever feelings and cravings that I had. I may not have always dealt with them constructively, Mm -hmm. but I dealt with them. And I didn't return back to the smoking and the drugging and all that, you know, and that's what was important. I think it took me a good three years to get solid. Like, I I never, once I quit, I never did it again. Yeah. But solid in how I productively dealt with things. Yeah. It took a good three years of being sober and being like, okay, this is it. This is my life. This is what I want. Yeah. And this is where I'm going. Okay. So during this time, as you're using, it's like you're a young teenager and everything. Mm -hmm. Did you label yourself as an addict? Like, did you think that you were addicted? No. Did you just think you could stop anytime? I didn't even think about stopping. I didn't want to. I didn't care about it. You know what I mean? Uh Uh, I was never surrounded by people that were ever sober. So it was never a thought that came across. I think that the first time I ever thought like, oh, goodness, what's going on is when I went to jail. So that's like, you know, I think that's a wake-up call for a lot of people. Uh Some people – Make the right decision at that point, and some people don't. It took me going to jail a couple times for me to finally get it, mm-hmm. you know. And the jail, the relocation, my dad getting sick, 
having a child to take care of. All of those things together is what helped me make that decision. And I also wanted to tell you too is that a lot of people tell you, you need to get clean. You need to do it for yourself. That's not anybody else. You don't do you do not do these things for anybody else. You do it for yourself. But when you're that deep in it, you don't care about doing nothing for you. <laughs> you do not care. Like if you really cared, you wouldn't be doing it in the first place, right? It takes something else besides yourself to make it happen for you. You know what I mean? And for me, like I said, was my dad, you know, got sick and, and going to jail. Those were the things I did it for those things. I didn't do it for me at that mm-hmm. moment. Now I do it for me, mm-hmm. you know. But the initial switch in your mind where you're like, I, you know, I got I got to get clean, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not for, you don't do it for you. I, I'm a firm believer in that. You don't do it for you. You do it for another reason. You do it because something significant has happened in your life to somebody that you either love And most likely it's because somebody you love or something drastic has happened to you. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And I I think that applies in a lot of areas of life that it's a lot Mm -hmm. easier to do something for your loved ones than to do it for yourself. Than to do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And and that's one of the things that I've never agreed with with when they do, you know, when they have like – recovery curriculum and mm-hmm. and you know meetings they're always you know and I'm always the person that's like nope that's not <laughs> that's not right I don't know why you guys keep saying that you because, would call out the instructor you'd uh, be like um no, no. I want to add <laughs> I just want to say something <laughs> I can totally see you doing that <laughs> totally I, I just don't think that that's the case because we don't do that you yeah. know what I mean we just don't it takes a lot of times we don't love each other, love ourselves like we love other people. We just don't. Yeah. We should. Yeah. But we don't. Right? Yeah. No. And so it takes something happening to somebody that you love or, you know, a crazy situation in your life. So. So speaking of loved ones, when you were finally able to have your son full time mm-hmm. and you were sober, how was that experience? Describe that struggle. Yeah. 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 I think that um, with my son, he so much a grandma's boy. And I was very, um, and, and I've expressed this to you before, very strict because I never wanted for him what, you know, you never, when you have children, you don't want what you had growing up mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. You want more. You want better. And, and I think for me, I was just so hyper vigilant on him not being anything like me or like his dad mm-hmm. that I wanted to mold him into something greater. And so I think that was a struggle um, because he he was a grandma's boy and she just, you know, spoiled him rotten mm-hmm. as grandmas do. Yeah. Right. And so it was a struggle at that point. And, and just because he, by the time I was, you know, by the time I got sober, he was, you know, like 11, 12 years old. So, you know, he's a little man with his own thoughts and yeah. his own feelings mm-hmm. and his own decision on things. And so we did bump heads a lot of times. You know, it is, it is what it is. And for the most part, I think 
I can say that I did the best that I could and I will continue to try to do the best that I can for him, my family, my grandchildren, whoever, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I might be a little hard to deal with at times, but it all comes from love stuff. <laughs> when your mama bear comes out. <laughs> Hearing you talk uh, about getting sober, helping your dad, you have your son full-time, and that's hard. But did you have these moments where you acknowledged, wow, I'm pretty proud of myself. Like, this is cool that I'm sober or – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think for me those moments came when I was like, I want to share this with somebody. When I have those moments, that's the feeling I get. I want to share this with somebody. I need to – I need to tell my story. I need to tell people. I need to help people. I need people to know that this is possible, you know, because I come from a background where this kind of stuff isn't possible. There's so many people that come from a background like I have, you know, there's, there's tons of people that have crappy upbringing and, and I never even knew that my upbringing was crappy until I was an adult. I always thought life was grand because I was showered with love and affection Mm -hmm. and I came from a very loving home. I had two older brothers that protected me all the time. I was daddy's girl. I didn't realize what kind of dysfunctional home I came from until I was older and was able to process all the things that I seen and all the things that I experienced and know that (laughs) this isn't right, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I know that there's a lot of other people out there like me and so I just want to be able to help whoever I can. And that helps me stay sober. That helps me stay clean too. It helps me to to know that I can help someone. So what's your advice to someone that maybe they're listening or maybe someone with a family member that's struggling with drugs is listening that they're like, oh, it's impossible. I've been I've been an addict for years or they don't even know they're addict like like what you said. It really is different for everybody. It really has to be just that decision that you make. There's no stepping stones to this kind of thing. There's what? There's no like magic one, two, three. There is no magic <laughs> one, two, three. Wish there there like, was. So many things There's a life. lot of praying, so that yeah. may be magic. <laughs> <laughs> pray, pray, pray. Yeah. <laughs> That's about the only magic you're going to get. Um, I think my biggest advice to somebody would be is to find something that means enough to you to make that change for. Just find it. And if anybody needs somebody to connect with, I'm here for any type of support for for anybody that may be listening. I really just think that it's a decision-making process. It's There has to be something that you're willing to do it for. And f- honestly, it can't be yourself. So is there anything there? Children, parents, you know, life in general, there has to be that important thing. And if they don't have it, then it's not going to be achievable for them. And they're going to continue. And unfortunately, there is a lot of people like that too. There's a lot of people that just don't have anything that makes it important enough for them. Yeah. And I mean, we go on walks all the time and we work downtown. And so there's Mm -hmm. tons of homeless people and oftentimes... I know. You're you're, com- you're commenting like, oh. I mean, I mean, you've said before, you know, like I know. I'm always commenting on animals and homeless people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, I mean, with with your, you have friends that are in prison or whatever, uh-huh. or like 
people are homeless, you're like, that could have been me, you know? I, I, absolutely. That totally could have been me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that is a reality right there. To be able to be in the position that I'm in now and have the opportunity to walk by people that are in that position and for me to be able to register it in my mind, that could have been me. It's just, it's just another nail in that addiction coffin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, stay there. Yeah. You are not coming back to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's really where, it, where it lies. But I just, you know, bless their hearts down there. I feel so bad for them. I really do. That's why I always try to give them a smile or mm-hmm. say, Hey, what's up? I don't want to be that snobby little downtown work girl that just walks <laughs> past them in my high heels and, you know, no, doesn't even acknowledge that they're human beings. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> you know? It is like to look them in the eye and say hello. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And especially yeah. if they have a dog, we'll be on our walk and you'll be yeah, chatting you with know. them forever. You know, I'll be saying something. <laughs> <laughs> well, and another person in your that's in your life right now is your, your husband. Oh, and you had told he's me. He's so amazing. The other day when you were talking, you said it was scary to share everything with him like your whole past like is he gonna want someone with this past you know because he said he was very clean cut that is a vulnerable thing for anybody when you're getting out of that lifestyle that means that you're not going to be dating guys that are like that anymore Mm -hmm. your whole dating genre is is different Mm -hmm. right and so it was very scary and vulnerable to you know, share all of that with him. Bless his heart too. He gets to, he gets to experience my mother and I love it. (laughs) You know, she's old school drug addict, Uh you know? And so he gets to see firsthand. Like how you grew up. Exactly. Cause her parenting skills are still the same. They Mm -hmm. don't, they don't change. Mm -hmm. She's not changing. She's 70 years old, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing is changing about her. (laughs) So he gets to, he gets to experience it firsthand and he's, he's such a guy about it. He really is. He gets really frustrated sometimes, you know, just because he grew up a different kind of way, but he's, he was so accepting of everything. I think that he saw my pure heart from the beginning and knew that I was not that person. And so it didn't even matter to him, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of hard for him to believe sometimes, like, really? You did all that? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> and I always tell him, I like, oh, I wish I would have met you like in my 20s. And he's like, you wouldn't have liked me then. <laughs> I'm like, how do you know you could have been the thing that made me change? <laughs> he's like, no, no, you were dating gang members. <laughs> you wouldn't want a nerdy IT guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's so great though he's he really and you know he keeps me sober too because he makes really good decisions for his life when you get a partner it's so important that you get a partner that is on the same page as you with recovery like somebody that is not involved so having a spouse that is making good decisions it makes it so much easier to stay sober you know because oh, yeah. you don't have to worry about peer pressure from somebody that you like are madly in love with mm-hmm. or deeply in love with or somebody yeah. that you've been with. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that at all. You've shared with me your story before, but hearing you talk more in detail, I just think that you're wonderful, Nikia. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and that you should be proud of where you've come from. Like you were saying, like how your husband's like 
Well, you did that. Like, I can't believe that. <laughs> I know. I, I I think the only thing that may give away that I am a, may have come from a little different is, you know, is that I have, my nose is pierced. I have tattoos. You know, that kind of thing. So people, you know, they associate those kind of things with But still, you don't different. look rough at all. Like, you're yeah. here with a cute little scarf and, like <laughs> – <laughs> but, I, but you know I, what I yeah, mean? I like mean. they see people with tattoos and they're like, oh, where you know, mm-hmm. yeah, what are you up to? <laughs> Never judge a book by its that's cover. right, that's right, absolutely. Yeah, what are they going to do when I'm all sleeved up? <laughs> well, Nakia, thank you for being on today and for sharing your example that it is possible to to get sober, even if you come from a family of addicts and you don't even realize you are one. Well, thank you for having me, Steph. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. If you're loving listening to other people's stories here on this podcast, then maybe it's time to start recording your own. Head on over to reminisaudio.com and take the hard work out of preserving your memories.